Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnerless. In my younger days, I worked at the local mall at a video store. I enjoyed working there. A big problem was lunchtime, what to do. I would walk up and down the mall, sometimes stop in at the bookstore, hoping that one day in one of those many vacant mall spots, something that I liked would set up shop. After about two years into this job, a discount toy store opened up. And when I say discount toys, it was more a clearance store. So anything that had been in stores for years before would suddenly show up in this store for, say, anywhere between $0.88 and $19.88. This made me happy. I loved to collect toys, and having access to the store meant I could constantly keep tabs on a toy that might show up and watch to see if there was any interest, because if there wasn't any interest, the price would drop, and if I kept an eye on things, I could get a really big bargain. At some point, these 12-inch RoboCop toys showed up. They're really cool electronic talking things. This was a year and a half, maybe even two years after RoboCop 3, and no one had any interest in these toys at this point, except for me. So I kept watching and waiting, and I think they started probably around $7.88, and then slowly started to drop in price. Eventually, they got to $1.88, and people started buying them, and I thought, this is my opportunity to pick one up. Bought one, brought it home, did not leave it in the package, took it right out, put it on my shelf, and I would take it down every once in a while and play with it. I'm sorry to say that tragedy befell my beautiful RoboCop toy when I went to spend a weekend at my uncle's house. While there, RoboCop started acting up, and if you've owned electronic toys, maybe this has happened to you, where it just starts going off in the middle of the night. I had two sisters who were still living at home at this point, and They went in and tried to figure out what was going on. They found the RoboCop. They put him in the back of the closet. They could still hear him. They brought him back out. And this is 2 in the morning and trying to figure out how to get the batteries open. They took scissors and started trying to jam it into places, hoping that it would shut him up. I guess their frustration grew to the point where they kind of just dropped RoboCop on the floor and he stopped working. It also loosened his leg up enough that when I came home and saw him on my desk and picked him up, his leg fell off. The toy was $1.88, but the guilt that my sisters felt in destroying the toy was worth much more than that. And if you've never grown up in a house with older siblings, having them feel bad for you sometimes is a really good thing because they'll do stuff for you, drive you places, pick you up when you need to be picked up, all for a toy that I really didn't need. That's a pretty good deal. I'd buy that for $1.88. On today's show, we're going to talk about the 1987 film RoboCop, a movie that would eventually inspire the toy that my sisters broke. We'll talk a little bit about the people behind and in front of the camera. We'll talk about the plot, the sequels, the TV series, the video games, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Robocop is a 1987 sci-fi action film. It was written by Edward Neumeyer and Michael Miner, and it was directed by the Dutch-born director Paul Verhoeven. It stars Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, and a bunch of other great people. The idea for Robocop, according to Edward Neumeyer, started when he walked past the poster for the movie Blade Runner. And he asked his friend what the film was about. And his friend said, it's about a cop who hunts robots. This, in his head, sparked the idea for a robot cop. Maybe he hadn't seen Blade Runner at that point, but maybe if he had, he wouldn't have had to make such a jump for inspiration. He and Michael Miner would team up, and they had inspiration from many sources. Some say the comic book Judge Dredd, as well as the Space Knight Rom from Marvel Comics. Rom even makes an appearance in the film. You can see a Rom comic book during the convenience store robbery, and in a flashback scene, Murphy, who is Robocop, when he was a human, his son has a Rom comic book. Ed Neumeyer was born in 1957, probably best known for his work on Robocop and Starship Troopers. Miner is a writer and director, probably best known for his work on all three Robocop films. Several people were approached to direct Robocop. David Cronenberg, he would later go on to work with Weller, the star of Robocop, on his film The Naked Lunch. Jonathan Kaplan was set to direct, but he decided to do the film Project X, another really fun film. If you haven't seen it, you should. And Alex Cox turned down the directorial role and instead directed the film Straight to Hell. So the film wound up in the hands of the director, Paul Verhoeven. At this point in Verhoeven's career, he wasn't really well-known in America. He had directed one English-language film before Robocop called Flesh and Blood that had Rutger Hauer and Jennifer Jason Leigh in it. Verhoeven was born in 1938. He's a director, screenwriter, producer, probably best known for Robocop, Starship Troopers, Total Recall, and Basic Instinct, probably most infamous for the film Showgirls. A lot of people had rejected this script, Verhoeven was almost one of them. He first read the script and didn't like it at all and threw it away. According to him, his wife picked the script up and read through it and said, there's actually a lot going on in this film. Maybe you should take a second look at it. He did, saw what she was talking about, and thought I could really put my mark on this film and decided to do it. Production started on August 6th, 1986, and would continue until October 20th, 1986. Although the scenes depicting Murphy's death, Murphy, who would become Robocop after this horrible thing, were not filmed until January. Many of the urban settings for the film were shot in two areas, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Dallas, Texas. You'll see a lot of Dallas in the sort of futuristic buildings they have there that's supposed to be this Detroit of the future. The steel mill that is used in the film, that's where the stuff from Pittsburgh comes from. Actually, I understand it's Monessen, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh. The plot of Robocop involves Detroit in the future. It's infested with crime, and a large company is running it at this point. This company has developed this giant crime-fighting robot, which has developed a glitch that makes it kill people. They see their opportunity to get back in with the public when a police officer... Alex Murphy is killed by a street gang, and they take Murphy's body and replace most of it with robot parts, and he becomes Robocop. Robocop is very successful, and he will eventually become the target of a villain named Boddicker. The film includes elements of seeking humanity, rampant consumerism, there's sort of dark, almost fascist undertones to the film, all wrapped up in this slick 80s action movie package, which all works very well together. The costume that RoboCop wears was designed by Rob Botton. 
Martin is a makeup special effects genius, worked on some amazing films, probably best known for his work on Star Wars and the cantina scenes, and in John Carpenter's The Thing. The RoboCop suits are probably the most expensive thing you will see on screen. About a million dollars was spent on the completion of the suit, and six of them were made in total. Martin attacked the problem of what RoboCop should look like and went against what the director and writers thought by asking himself, how does the human body work? And how could you make a person who's wearing a suit, and this is what it is, he's wearing a suit of armor, how could it be convincing? While he was working on the suit and getting it done, Peter Weller, who had been cast in the lead role, went to movement class and wanted to come up with a way that RoboCop would move. And they had thought that the suit would be light enough that he could move sort of stealthily and dance around with his gun. But the suit proved way too cumbersome, and they had to rework it so that he could move in a more robotic way. The suit was hot, and Weller toughed it out with this thing, even though he complained a little at first, and this almost caused somebody else to be cast in the film. But you couldn't blame him for complaining. He would lose three pounds a day due to sweat while wearing the suit in 100 degree temperatures and had to have tubes with air conditioner units attached to them pumped in to try to keep him cool between shooting. The RoboCop suit was so cumbersome that when Weller was in the car, it was too bulky for him to wear. So when you saw RoboCop in the car, he's only wearing the top part of the RoboCop suit since he can't get in and out with it. And you'll notice they kind of do fancy cuts to show how he steps out. You'll see his foot and then they cut up and he's out of the car already. The original gun that RoboCop was going to use was a Desert Eagle. It's a pretty big gun, but it was going to be too small in RoboCop's hand. So they took a Beretta 93R and had it heavily modified, extending the gun barrel to make it look bigger and more in proportion with RoboCop's hand. That cool gun holster in his leg wasn't actually part of the suit. It was a standalone piece that could be operated by wire and cables so that they could get the shot right. Speaking about getting in and out of the car, the cars themselves might look very futuristic, but this was 1986, and cop cars didn't look like they did in this, but would very soon, because those are just Ford Tauruses, which at the time were very futuristic looking. I understand that there's a RoboCop Taurus on display at the Branson Auto Museum in Branson, Missouri. Gotta get there to see that. Today's show is brought to you by your local drag races. Don't get arrested by RoboCop for illegally drag racing. Go enjoy them legally at the drag races. Love those drag races. So I mentioned earlier that there was a robot that went bad, and that would be Ed 209. It's a big robot, really cool looking. Ed 209 was designed by Craig Davies. It was animated by Phil Tippett. Paul Verhoeven worked very closely with them and supposedly would act out how he wanted the robot to move. Would love to see that. The other special effects in the film, there's a lot of computer stuff. A lot of that was generated with a Commodore Amiga. Great computer for graphics. Video toaster for the win. Now a little bit about the cast of RoboCop. Peter Weller would play Officer Alex Murphy and RoboCop. Weller was born in 1947. Actor, director, also a history lecturer. 
probably best known for his work in the first two RoboCop films. He was also in the cult classic, very underrated one, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, as well as The Naked Lunch, which I mentioned earlier. Most recently, you might have seen him on the TV show 24 and in the Showtime series Dexter. Weller turned down a role in King Kong Lives to star in RoboCop, but he wasn't the first choice for the film. A couple of other people were offered the role. Rutger Hauer and Arnold Schwarzenegger are the ones that are mentioned most. Tom Berenger was then offered the role, as well as Michael Ironside. Peter Weller, when they first started shooting this, was complaining about being in the suit, and the part of RoboCop was offered to Lance Henriksen, but he turned it down due to conflicts with another role he was doing. So Weller, I guess, got used to the suit, and he became RoboCop. Nancy Allen played Officer Ann Lewis. Originally, Stephanie Zimbalist was cast in her role, but she couldn't show up for work because she was in the TV show Remington Steel at the time and couldn't get out of making more episodes. Alan, probably best known for her work in RoboCop, Carrie, and maybe the film Dressed to Kill. Ronnie Cox played Evil Company OCP's senior vice president. He was Richard Dick Jones. Ronnie Cox was born Daniel Ronald Cox. In 1938, actor, singer, songwriter, guitarist, best known for his work in RoboCop, Deliverance, Total Recall, and Beverly Hills Cop. Kurtwood Smith played Clarence Boddicker. Kurtwood Larson Smith was born in 1934. He's a television and film actor, probably best known on the big screen for his role as Boddicker in RoboCop, and on the small screen as Red Foreman in that 70s show. When I see Kurtwood Smith and Ronnie Cox, I think of them as villains, probably because of their role in RoboCop. But at the time, they were actually cast because it was against type for them. Cox, up till this point, had been primarily known for good guy roles, and Smith had usually played more intellectual characters. Miguel Ferrer played OCP executive Bob Morton. Ferrer, great actor. We're going to learn a little bit about him later when Vic Sage talks about him on Why Should I Know This Person. Dan O'Herlihy played the old man, the OCP chairman. Herlihy, born in 1919, passed away in 2005. He's an Irish film actor, probably best known to American audiences for his role in RoboCop and Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. He was also nominated for an Academy Award for the 1954 version of The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. Paul McCrane played Emil Antonowski. McCrane was born in 1961, probably best known on the big screen for his work in the film Fame and RoboCop, and on the small screen for his role on the TV series ER. I wasn't going to go into all the henchmen in the film, but there's a really great effect, this melting man effect that happens to McCrane. It's one of those scenes that has always stuck with me when he gets dumped into this soup of chemical and toxic waste and he comes out. It's very dramatic and very well done, so I wanted to mention that. I also wanted to mention S.D. Nemeth, who played Bixby Snyder, the TV comedian who would repeat the line, I'd buy that for a dollar. That line, I'd buy that for a dollar, actually comes from a short story by Cyril M. Cornbluth called The Marching Morons, which takes a very cynical view on a very commercialized future like what you see in RoboCop, and this radio show host in it uses the line, I'd buy that for a quarter, as their signature phrase, which becomes, I'd buy that for a dollar. S.D. Nemeth, probably best known for his work on RoboCop and RoboCop 3, he was also in the film Lobster Man from Mars. Now with a little bit more about Miguel Ferrer, is Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person?
Hi friends, Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person? And this time I'll be talking about Robocop co-star Miguel Ferrer. Born Miguel Jose Ferrer on February 7, 1955 in Santa Monica, California, it would seem he was destined to take the path of an entertainer, as his father was the legendary Academy Award winning actor Jose Ferrer, and his mother was Rosemary Clooney, which means he happens to be a cousin to none other than George Clooney. As a teenager, Miguel's passion was for the music side of showbiz. In fact, he was good enough he played drums on Keith Moon's solo album, Two Sides of the Moon, in 1975. Ferrer would land his first acting role in a 1981 episode of Magnum P.I. as Ensign Robert Bobby Wicks. From there, he would continue to land roles in popular TV shows and films such as Chips, Cagney and Lacey, Star Trek III The Search for Spock, Hill Street Blues, T.J. Hooker, and Trapper John, M.D. In 1987, when he garnered the role of Bob Morton in Robocop, he could also be seen in Hotel, Kung Fu, The Next Generation, and Houston Nights. Miguel didn't stop playing music, as he would team up with his friend Bill Moomy of Lost in Space fame to co-found the Los Angeles blues rock band The Generators. Towards the end of the 80s, Miguel was seen in Deep Star 6, the same year his Robocop co-star, Peter Weller, starred in his underwater adventure film, Leviathan. Miguel was cast as FBI agent Albert Rosenfeld in the second season of David Lynch's Twin Peaks. At the same time, he was a regular on Shannon's Deal and Broken Badges. The early 90s found Ferrer making numerous film appearances with Twin Peaks' Fire Walk With Me, the American remake of La Femme Nikita, Point of No Return, Hot Shots, Part Due, Another Stakeout, and Blank Check. In 1994, he would appear in Mick Garris' adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand as Lloyd Henry, the right-hand man of the villainous Randall Flagg. This was the first of what has so far been three roles in Stephen King adaptations. Miguel would star in 1997's The Night Flyer and make an uncredited appearance in Mick Garris' adaptation of The Shining. Starting in the 2000s, Ferrer began to get voice acting work and has lent his vocal talents to such animated series as Superman, The Jackie Chan Adventures, The Batman, Justice League The New Frontier, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Adventure Time, and Young Justice. Recently, he has been seen on the big screen in 2013's Iron Man 3 as Vice President Rodriguez, and on TV for 33 episodes of NCIS Los Angeles as Owen Granger. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person? Signing off until next time. Thanks, Vic. Robocop is a very violent film. Violent enough that it was given an X rating by the MPAA. And they would send it back again and again, and it would get it 12 times before they were able to edit it to get an R rating. There have been various releases of the film on home video where you can see some of these darker versions. According to Verhoeven, he wanted the violence to be so over the top that it came across as comical. And he thought that when they made him take these scenes out or tone them down, that it made the film less funny and sort of more violent seeming than it would have been if it was more cartoony. If you watch these edited scenes, you'll see exactly what he means. And a lot of the humor in the film makes a lot more sense when accompanying this way over-the-top violence. Robocop hit theaters on July 17, 1987, and would make $8 million in its opening weekend, would go on to gross $53.4 million 
in its North American domestic run, and it was the 16th most successful film that year. I somehow managed to get taken to this film. I saw RoboCop in the theaters with my friends at the time, and we could not get enough of it. We loved it. So it made sense that just a year later, my friend whose family had a Laserdisc player would pick up a copy of RoboCop, and we would watch it again and again over at his house. I could remember sitting there eating bags and bags of pretzels, just watching the same movie over and over again, and we never got tired of it. The soundtrack for RoboCop was composed by Basil Paladoris. It uses both synthesized and orchestral music. The soundtrack was originally released in the 80s and has been reissued and remastered several times since then. If you've never seen the theatrical trailer for RoboCop, you might be surprised to learn that they do not use the RoboCop theme when they originally showed it. Instead, they used the Terminator theme from the 1984 film. And you can see sort of the comparison between the two. Get a sort of half-man, half-robot, and a robot inside a man. Maybe they were just trying to play off the fact that the Terminator was this huge hit. The film would spawn two sequels, the first of which, RoboCop 2, came out in 1990, directed by Irvin Kirshner. This would be the last movie he would direct. It also starred a lot of the same people, Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Dan O'Herlihy, and has a lot of similar themes to the first film. And I do enjoy it, but I still think the first one is a very superior product. RoboCop 3 came out in 1993 was directed by Fred Decker and was written by Frank Miller, the graphic novelist and writer. Again, this one is set in Detroit like the first two. And in this one, Robocop is played by Robert John Burke and follows him as he vows to avenge the death of his partner, Nancy Allen, while also trying to save Detroit from plunging into chaos. Robocop would make the jump from big screen to small screen with two live action and two animated versions of RoboCop. In 1994, you had RoboCop the series. It starred Richard Eden in the title role. It lacked a lot of the violence of the original RoboCop, sort of a family show. And I think because it lacked its edge and kind of lacked the essence of RoboCop, it only lasted for 22 episodes. In 2001, RoboCop Prime Directives, a miniseries, was released. It's a series of four feature-length episodes, Dark Justice, Meltdown, Resurrection, and Crash and Burn. And this one has a much more dark, violent, kind of getting back to the roots of RoboCop. I'd never seen it when it first came out, but luckily all four are on DVD. The production values is sort of low, but overall, I kind of like it, and I was really surprised. There were two animated series of RoboCop. RoboCop, the animated series, was produced by Marvel. Of course, because this was for kids, they took the bullets out of the show and instead put laser weapons in and set it in a more science fiction-y world. This series was animated by Acom Productions and would last for 12 episodes. This would be followed by RoboCop Alpha Commando. It premiered in 1998, stopped running in 1999. I watched it recently on Hulu. It's not bad. There's 40 episodes of it, which is pretty impressive for an animated series. The novelization of RoboCop was written by Ed Naha of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and the Sinbad television series fame and was released on June 1st, 1987. If you're a RoboCop fan, you might enjoy the sort of extended dialogue and more of this internal struggle of Murphy as he tries to deal with being half man, half machine. Not a bad novelization as they go. The film spawned multiple comic adaptations. Various companies have tackled RoboCop. Marvel had 23 issues, plus adaptations of the first two movies. Dark Horse did a regular series and a RoboCop versus the Terminator, which was also a video game. 
and I think almost a movie. Avatar Press and Boom Studios would also dabble in RoboCop. RoboCop has also been made into a pinball machine and various video games. Data East released the pinball machine in 1990. They would also be involved in the first two RoboCop games. Both of them are pretty good, RoboCop and RoboCop 2. I especially like the original RoboCop, kind of a fun side-scroller. used to play it on my Commodore. I played RoboCop and RoboCop 2 when they originally came out. Recently, I tried RoboCop 3 and RoboCop 3D. RoboCop 3 is okay. I didn't love it. I really thought RoboCop 3D was interesting. That originally came out for the Commodore Amiga and on PCs. It used a 3D engine, which was kind of cool. You get first-person stuff in the game, as well as really cool flying sequences. If you happened to have had the Sega Genesis, like I did, you might have had RoboCop vs. the Terminator. It was loosely based on the 1992 four-issue comic miniseries of the same name. It was a pretty good game. In 2003, a RoboCop shooter was released on more modern consoles, and by modern I mean Xbox, PlayStation 2, and GameCube. If you've been to an iWorks motion simulator theater, you'll see them sometimes in malls, maybe even at an amusement park. These are those motion rides where you get inside and you see a film while the ride moves. They made a RoboCop one of these. Depending on the size, they could accommodate between 20 and 30 riders. The ride involved you partnering up with RoboCop, and you ride around on a mission to save the mayor of Detroit from the vicious cyberpunk Rom and his evil gang. The ride lasted about four minutes. If you went to one of these, it usually cost about $5 to ride it at these iWorks facilities. If you lived in America, you had a very narrow window to see these because by 1998, they were all gone. In February of 2011, the mayor of Detroit, while talking about his plans for a new Detroit, was asked if there were plans to put up a RoboCop statue to commemorate all that he had done for the city, I guess. He said there was not. The internet heard about this and said there should be. And right away, money started to be raised to put a brand new statue of RoboCop. We are closing in on its unveiling, which is going to happen in spring of 2014. I hope to one day get to Detroit and stand under the giant RoboCop statue. In February of 2014, a new version of RoboCop is coming out, starring Joel Kinnaman, who is playing Alex Murphy. Other people attached to the film are Gary Oldman, Samuel L. Jackson, and Michael Keaton. The film has been released. I have still not seen it yet, but I might need to make a trip down to the old multiplex just for old time's sake. RoboCop is a very 80s-seeming film in that action films in the 80s could be very over-the-top, but RoboCop is special because Paul Verhoeven made it special by taking the violence, taking the consumerism, and all these things that were going on at the time and making RoboCop a commentary on those things. It's a great science fiction story of man and robot and where one begins and the other ends. And that is done very well, but it goes much deeper than that. And because of that, it's a classic film that everybody should see. So if you haven't gone to the multiplex to see the new RoboCop, why not spend the weekend in and watch the original RoboCop? See what it's like, see what it's about, then go see the new one. I don't know how you're going to feel about the new film, but I guarantee in this original one, you're not going to be disappointed.
Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person. You can find Vic on the website every week. You could also listen to his brand new retro horror podcast, Saturday Frights, every week on The Retroist. If you have feedback for Vic, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Your move, creep. This has been a retroist production. Goodbye.